Hello, everyone. This is Singularity Watch, the show where we scan the horizons of the future and imagine what might be tomorrow's issues and opportunities. I'm Oli, and as always, my co-host is award-winning cybersecurity professional Kavya Perlman, founder of the XR Safety Initiative, XRSI. Hi, Kavya. How are you doing? Doing well, Oli. How are you doing? Good. Not too bad. Uh, our guest today is Richard Foster Fletcher, uh, founder and chair of MKAI, a young organization founded in 2019 in Milton Keynes, UK, aimed at discussing and developing projects about many different areas of artificial intelligence, such as uh, ethics, inclusivity, privacy, or privacy, and sustainability. And we're going to have a debate on whether it's privacy or privacy at some stage. Um, but anyway, in the meantime, okay. Hi, uh, hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm really, really glad. It's great to be here, Ollie. Thanks for the introduction. Awesome. Uh, so as all of our travel mates, listeners, and what watchers know, uh, at the end of each episode, we ask our guests to uh, give a, a definition of singularity, right? As, uh, as you know, what that means for them. Um, in this case, we're probably touching on one of the core visions of singularity in, you know, with your interview. So the convergence between AI and VR. Um, so Richard, uh, we're starting, we're going to start with this question. What does singularity actually mean uh, to you? Well, it's interesting right. that if you ask Ray Kurzweil, how we get to the singularity, the person who seemed to be the one who framed the expression doesn't seem to have an awful lot of answers. Mm -hmm. To me, I mean, it's a way of augmenting, but there's, there's a lot missing from that idea, I think, that we, we haven't really got our heads around. Um, for example, if we look at the roads, we have this idea that we can mix autonomous vehicles with driven vehicles, connected with unconnected vehicles, and it, it just isn't like that. If that was possible, then we'd be seeing horse and carriage next to 5 Series BMW on the motorways, and we don't, of course, uh -huh. they're not compatible. So fundamentally, there is a non-compatibility between human and machine that we have to overcome. And... Yes, you know, machines work in nanoseconds, which is incredible. And a nanosecond to a second is like a second to 32 years. So it really is phenomenally different. But when we use our laptops today, they slow us down. We're faster than a laptop. So it's just not this simple that we, we, we suddenly become greater and more from uh, a singularity between us and machines. But there's incredible problem-solving opportunity from the move towards that in a society that I think is pretty broken right now. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say it's always been a little broken or do you think it's particularly broken right now? <laughs> it's funny, in MKAI, sometimes we have meetings and I, I say, I remember we've always had problems. A thousand years ago, we had problems. A thousand years from now, we'll have problems probably much worse than we have now. All we're doing is just keeping ourselves busy working on the current crop of problems, mm -hmm. which to us, of course, seem huge. You know, diversity and inclusion, access to opportunity, access to finance, the bank, the unbanked, the difference, donor economics, the capitalism that favors the, the few and not the many. These are all significant problems. But at the heart of it, the only real problem is that we, we don't yet know how to live on this planet properly. But... Mm -hmm. We, we just got to get up to a, a C plus, right? We're not an A star species. 
like forget it. <laughs> right. no. Maybe I mean, there's hope. <laughs> Well, you say like, oh, are humans good or bad? It's like, but you're a human. You're biased. Like, don't mark your own homework. Like, yeah, of course. Ask of the course. whales or the elephants. Like, elephants are almost extinct. What? How is that possible that we're okay with that? So in the long term, you know, the augmentation is that we need to measure and manage everything. All soil in the world will have live IoT sensors for its, you know, how uh, the edification of it or the damage to it, so that we can manage all of our planet. But we're nowhere near that. We're generations away. So in the shorter term, you know, this is just a mindset shift now of all of us just trying to get us up to a C plus in society rather than a D minus or even an F in some countries where we just just beating ourselves to death. Yeah. So uh, I, I as a whole, you, you you reckon that we are kind of um, as bad as we've ever been and as good as we've ever been, but just with the technology <laughs> ever changing. Is that right? Uh, so the, to answer your question, you know, we've always had problems. We'll always have problems. They'll just change. So what we say in MKI is, you know, remember it is about the people. And mm. one incredible thing of modern technology is like this. You know, we get to find the people all around the world who do share these concerns and, and work towards better ways and better methods. And they're, they're not in my estate. They're not even in my local town a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But there's thousands and thousands of people. And now that we can connect on the internet, yes, but also now through VR, which I think is phenomenal, then it's one of our greatest opportunities, I think, to learn together and grow together. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's all about like what you do with it, right? It's like uh, technology is a sort of an amplifier of outcomes. Um, so what do, you, what do you think we should be scared about <laughs> from the future? Like uh, what do you see as the kind of threats uh, and, and on the other hand, maybe the opportunities um, from the scenario which we, you know, we're facing in the near, or let's say in the immediate sort of uh, decades We've definitely got a hump to get over. When you talk about threats, do you mean particularly from technological or do you mean the wider societal and environmental threats? Well, I mean, I think it's all tied together. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to leave it to you to kind of um, figure out what you want to put in there. But um, in general, just threats, I would say that technology can have something to do with uh, either by being the problem or by solving the problem, I guess. It, there's huge possibility from particularly artificial intelligence, I think, in technology. One of the reasons I specialize in this is that on a long enough timeline, we know that this kind of augmented intelligence becomes key Mm -hmm. to um, our exploration, which if we're one thing, we are incredible exploring apes that will go anywhere and press any button and see what it does. And that's in our nature, I believe. So technology Mm -hmm. allows us to nourish that. So on one hand, in MKAI, we talk all the time about explainability, openness, transparency, Uh, you know, when you're collecting data, storing data, using data, selling data, sharing data, how are you doing that in ways that build responsible tech? And that's huge for us, and it's right now. Um, That's not the end of the story when it comes to AI. And if you, you think about... The, the the wider world, then there's a possibility that some of the solutions that we need to overcome what you're describing over the tech, 10, 10 years of problems, which are climate-related, pandemic-related, inclusion-related, but as you say, they're, they're all connected. They're all uh, examples of, of how we're not 
mm-hmm. know, working clicking society. So if those problems are beyond our cognitive ability. And in artificial intelligence, we have tools that maybe go beyond our cognitive uh, evolution. And so what's incredible about AI is that you can just put the data in of the planets in our solar system and the orbiting data, and it will predict the orbits. And yeah. that fascinates me because it doesn't know that a thing what... about gravity. <laughs> it, it, so it's, we it's we can't patterns, do that without understanding. Yeah, it's just patterns. We can't do patterns. We have to understand gravity. And we're wrestling with neutrinos and uh, particles and dark matter because we we have to know those things before we can progress. But AI doesn't. Mm-hmm. So you can you can get past the kind of we must have glass box AI. Say, well, what if we are okay with black box AI? If it was able to examine, find uh, ideas for us that beyond our scientific and cognitive evolution. Because if we have to know what dark matter is to understand the universe, then AI doesn't. Because the path will that, still be there. It, if, I mean, if we understood the whole world through AI, because it was explained to us in the future, on one hand, that would mean we'd, we'd have a lot more knowledge. But it would also mean that we'd have a kind of a, in a way, a more superficial understanding of things, because we'd understand the patterns behind things, but not really why they're there. Um, does that represent any type of worry or kind of something you would think about, or you think it's just going to be something that people will study up on after? No, I think a lot about that. I think it shows up in corporations. A lot of leaders talk about being data-driven, data-driven decision-making. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the, the more you do that, the more you encourage a culture of trusting the data, but your greatest yeah, ideas uh, and innovation aren't in the data. That's something that I think uh, you, you see a lot in the health in, uh, industry right now. So everybody is talking completely about, um, is that backed up by some study? But we seem to be forgetting you know, biomechanical plausibility or pathological plausibility. So you're kind of forgetting why things happen and you're focusing on whether it's just been proven or not. And that, to me, that feels like a cultural loss. Um, so I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was an important point to make. Um, yeah, Ali, yeah, it's uh, it's. I agree with you. And uh, as Richard, you talk about you know singularity um, fairly recently. First of all, thank you for working together with XRSI to uh, explore. Uh, you know what I start to hear from your conversation is convergence. So the convergence of artificial intelligence and virtual reality. Uh, seems quite obvious, but the domain is so wide that everyone has their own point of view, their own vision. So what's your point of view for this crucial aspect of where the AI and VR intersections are happening? And having done so much research fairly recently for the XRSI privacy framework, I'm really curious uh, for the sake of our audience, because I've had the honor to review all the research. Um, but yeah, please share with us uh, the key aspects that you and MKAI group was able to explore and uh, find this convergence. Thank you for the opportunity to work on that with your incredible organization. You really did catalyze some amazing things that we are absolutely carrying on with, even beyond the uh, 1.1 framework that we're I'm complimenting from your great work. It, I think there were two revelations for me that came out of the 
group discussions and the work that I did. And I think one is that this is a nascent industry, and I, I hope it doesn't take uh, a decade to learn the lessons of, of other industries. And I'll come to that in just a second. The other is that um, the opportunity for exploitation in extended reality and spatial computing is phenomenal. And that's, uh, I think, symptom symptomatic of the recording devices, audio and microphones and um, and data collection tools that are becoming normalized and on en masse. And I don't need to preach to the choir, but the data collection from a, uh, a VR device is phenomenal. And it's not only the everyday data in terms of preferences and behaviors and so on that the social media giants think that they can make even more money out of advertising and predicting behaviors from, but actually it's a back door into your own personal data. And I don't know if that's clear yet to the you know, general public, but mm. the, the, the movement, the changes over time, they, they're very, very clear once you put them into machine learning models, you know, what they mean in terms of health and wellness and trends. And it is not clear that that data is being collected and it's very much available. So whether you're sitting in your car, whether you're putting a headset on or glasses or, or Apple headphones that have cameras in them in the future or whatever, um, so much has got to change. Now, you might trust Apple's wall gardens. You might not. You certainly have to be able to afford them in the first place, even if you have that luxury of deciding if you trust them. But then, you know, if you get into your, your Tesla and, it, and it's watching you and, um, well, let's have a better example. You get into your work van, your fleet van, and you work for a big corporate. Um, I don't know if they're going to draw those lines well enough. But what is cool and what isn't cool? You know, you pick up your phone. That's one log. Pick it up twice, three times, you're automatically fired. Are we, you know, are we okay with that? Um, yeah. What about the music that's being listened to? I read the other day that American Idiot by Green Day is the most likely song for you to crash to. So what does that mean if your fleet are listening <laughs> to Green Day? And so... For everything in this area, everything in life, it's like, you know, just forget binary. It doesn't exist. It's no good, bad, wrong, right, black, white. It doesn't exist. You have to draw a line on things. As a CEO, you have to draw a line on, on data and your employees and your customers and what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. And you've got to put a lot of work into figuring that out. And I use yeah. the example of veganism. Like, there's no such thing as veganism. Like, if you want to eat something, it was alive. Now, where you decide on that line is up to you. Are you okay with cattle? Are you okay with chicken? Are you okay with eggs? Are you okay with you know collagen derived from fish scales as a byproduct? You, you have to make your mind up. That's such a really good them. analogy. I never thought about yeah, it that way. But Richard, did you eat pasta? Because I know Ollie would be very happy. <laughs> uh, pasta is not up for debate for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> And so that was point one. Point two, if you'll permit me, is this kind of learning from other industries. I, in our pre-conversation, I was saying, you know, I look at other industries that fail because they don't account for the whole market. And I've been exploring electric vehicles on the podcast, my own podcast, for a number of weeks now. And uh, a guest who can't come on the show because he's just joined a company that isn't going to permit it was going to argue against the 2030 uh, electric vehicle net zero ruling in, in the government in the UK and other places because he said it, it's wrong and it's taken away the innovation of the market. And I said to him, I said, are you kidding me? Innovation in automotive. First thing you did was lobby to try and get 2030 pushed back to 2050. All of you with millions spent on it. And then what did Volkswagen do? What was their innovation? They lied. 
Mm-hmm. They just exactly. lied about their vehicles. And you're telling me. Now, the problem isn't Volkswagen or the automotive industry. It's the fact that they didn't account for environmental degradation, for greenhouse gas emissions. It was proven in 1975 that burning fossil fuels produces greenhouse gases, which damages the planet and the ozone layer. We've known that for 50 years. But unless you make a market account for it, it's not going to innovate. Just like chemical companies used to pour their excess chemicals into rivers and streams. You have to make them stop do it. And then they can innovate in a holistic sense for all the factors in the market, including the one that for some unbeknown reason we've ignored for decades, where we live and what we drink and what we eat and what we breathe, which is nuts, insane. But then we've wanted the cheap flights and cheap stuff so much that we would sacrifice, it seems, anything. So let's learn from that and let's have VR that's interoperable like the telco industry has finally got to now, where they're unlocking all the phones. You can put any SIM card in there so that they can be reused. A phone now should have this life, next life, end of life, and it should be the same for every headset. You should be able to port across and use different brands. and Otherwise, it's going to be data monopolies and device monopolies, and people are going to get locked into one, and then it's going to be owned by Microsoft or Google or whatever, and you're not going to be able to get out, and then it's going to be forced upon them to make it interoperable. Well, just save yourself the time and do it now because it's going to be forced upon you anyway. So a typical example of the intersection between AI and, and VR is the travel industry, right? Um, VR can give travelers a glimpse of what's staying at a resort might be like or what exploring a destination will entail and ai can help them make decisions about their trips and uh well i mean actually you can explain to me exactly what it can do in that um in that regard but uh it might take care of the, the booking or uh you know reservations for example but at this point what's the place of humans in this um like where are they what's the future for humans if, if ai can kind of do everything <laughs> <laughs> it's and I know that's question. kind of a bit of a cliche in a way because it's kind of like a black mirror type thing, but uh, but it kind of I guess it you know what is it actually in real life uh, and not just in films? Yeah, w- wonderful question. Um, so yeah, absolutely, you have these incredible opportunities to have life to be much more convenient. Now we could get into a privacy versus security versus convenience debate all day, but you just have to go on to DuckDuckGo and then go into Google, and you see that one is a search engine and one is a concierge. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we we have to understand what things are. And Google is not a search engine; it's a means for trying to predict your next action and help you uh, to make it easier. And that's, that's not inherently bad. I mean, that's the kind of, you, we'll make you happier, you make us richer uh, argument. Um, there's many people trying to create new social networks, but I think they're missing the point. Like, the social networks that we have that are worth billions, Facebook, $86.7 billion, 98% of that from advertisements. You know, they didn't do that because they made a great social network. They did that because they realized that the platform they had they could systematically exploit innate human biases and monetize it. So if you want to create a social media platform, what are you creating? You're creating just somewhere that we can share ideas and memories and messages? Because there's no money in that. Look at LO. Nothing. If you want to make a social network, look at Clubhouse. Free to come in, yeah. use the power of celebrities, harvest all your data, store it for 72 hours, sell it to Facebook. So that that's one model that we have now. So... We, we're going to break that. We're going to break that with decentralization. It's going to come, and then all the big players are going to copycat that as they copycat everything else, and then hopefully they'll copycat something good. So at least that will will probably help us. So that's 
part of it in terms of it's phenomenal for convenience, right? And you might hate Amazon Alexa, but if you say book me a weekend away in the Cotswolds and it's all just done and you turn up and it's wonderful, wow. You know, that's incredible. But you've got to give them a lot of data for them to be able to do that. So then you talked about the role of humans. And people talk about, will AI replace jobs? And they start talking before they give me the definition of a job. So before you even have that conversation, you've got to say, and what I mean by is, is if you look on the dictionary, there's two definitions of job. One is gainful employment, and that's where you have uh, protection and colleagues and redundancy packages. You have um, HR and support and maternity leave and all these things, right? We, we think are good about jobs. So that's one side of it. The other side is job is where you are paid to deliver a task. So think task rabbit or Uber mm. Eats or whatever. So what are you referring to? Are you saying that it's going to take away jobs where we have pensions and community and um, you know, uh, management schemes? Yeah, probably, yeah. Is it going to take away Uber Eats? No. But do we want millions and millions of people to be managed by algorithms so much so that they never even have a human box? They just have an algorithm managing them, AI managing them. Is that most mm. definitely is coming if we're not careful? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this this well, whole idea that we should bright. live off. <laughs> People talk about <laughs> universal basic income, and if I understood what universal or basic meant, I'd have a head start on that one, but I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Luckily, we have a whole green revolution going on. We've got to do everything that we did now and do it with zero emissions. You know, we've got to pour concrete without emissions. We've got to race cars without emissions. Um, we've yeah. got to fly around the world without emissions. You know, so we need to get busy. That's millions of jobs. That's trillions of investment and a phenomenal human challenge that we can accomplish together and feel brilliant about doing. Let, let's get on with that right now. We've got plenty of jobs for people that want to do that in strategy and engineering and manual labor and whatever else needs to be done. Um, then we can talk about this future of AI replacing jobs and then what it means for creativity. But when people tell me that, they say AI is going to free up our time so we can be more creative. And I say back, do you really believe that the only thing that holds us back from being creative is we haven't got enough time? I feel like there is another crucial aspect, which, uh, you know, when it comes to AI, this quality of the input. So at the beginning of the research about machine learning, there was this hope that processing data through, um, let me say, an artificial brain would have removed these human biases uh, on various topics, such as gender or ethnicity. But we know that's not true or not true yet. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this kind of uh, these kind of issues in the current, you know, avenues that we are exploring? Yeah, the big bias question. There's (laughs) obviously there's no answer for how you overcome 145 human cognitive innate biases. They're not going away anytime soon. Um, And they're they're our superpower. Mm. You know, ask yourself, why did we survive and no other humanoids? What happened to the Neanderthals or any of the others? Well, the reason we're here hopefully, is that we're social, that we're social in a way that they never were, and we can have much larger groups than they ever could. And that comes from being predictable. Great. 
you know, I get on really well with my neighbours, but if they had no idea what I was going to do when I stepped out of the house, then we wouldn't. They, we all sign up to this predictability, all of us, and it's great. And it, it means that we all get along en masse. The downside, of course, is that that means it can be exploited. And people admire Cambridge Analytica for their M ML. Well, not me. I think it's very simple what they did. They just put some basic machine learning against human innate biases. It's not hard. Like, we all have the um, in-group, out-group fallacy. This person's more like me. I like them more. We all have that. No yeah. kudos to exploiting it. Like, do something intelligent. Just think hard. That's not hard. Um, so it's great when AI can go into a situation like a court and try and remove some of that bias. And it can. I mean, for example, the gambler's fallacy shows up all the time in sports and in courts and in rulings and exams and exam marking. And you'll see this all the time. An exam marker will, will put three A's in a row and then go, am I being too generous? And they'll mark the next one down to a B just because the last three were A's. It happens in baseball, it happens in court. And that's before we get to all the stats that show you that judges will be more lenient on women if they've got a daughter. They'll be harsher on somebody if they're hungry. Uh, this just, <laughs> you can't help it because they don't know it. So AI can help us to identify more about ourselves. It can help us understand our mood. Um, at work, we, we schedule things just based on availability. Are you free at nine? Me too. Let's do it. Well, hold up. Is nine o'clock a good time? Is it a creative time? What are you trying to achieve? So we've got to get much more into this kind of um, what's right for us and when. And But we've also got to remember the power of this platform. So Amazon went ahead and, and used AI to help with their recruitment, and it told them they should only hire men because they'd had so many men in the organization. That's what the algorithm said. And then they spotted it, and they changed it. First of all, they spotted it and changed it. That's something that AI did. It shone a spotlight on a problem there. Great. It amplified that problem, and they, they dealt with it. But what did they do? They removed the names of the women off the CVs. But you're fundamentally forgetting what AI is. AI is about finding patterns. So all it did then right. was the model just looked to identify who the women were from the societies they were involved, the sports they did, the classes they took. And it came to the same result because it figured out who the women were and then biased against them. Hmm. But we've got 14% women in AI. It's nuts. It's insane. Now, I don't mind what women want to do, what men want to do. It doesn't really matter to me, but it does matter to me that that 14% means that we get a load of bias that we don't need. And I speak to so many startup founders who have good intentions and want to standardize human process with machines. And I, you know, the kind of thing they say to me, they say, oh, we've got an app now, and it will go on someone's computer at work, and it will monitor them. And if we think that their mood is going down, it'll start putting funny videos up on their screen. Okay. Gosh. And then what? Well, if that doesn't work, then we'll send a message to HR and alert HR this person's not happy. Like, please, please don't make that. <laughs> like, that's a terrible <laughs> application. Exactly. But they've got good yeah. intentions. They think this is what we need. So yeah. that's why we need all sorts. That's what MKI is all about. You know, it, how do we get multi-diverse, multicultural, multi-regional uh, people from all ages to come together and look at a problem? And in a few years from now, I'm hopeful that we'll be the kind of organization where a university, a government, even a corporate will say, you know, we've got a problem. Can we bring a problem to you? And can you run it mm -hmm. through your four-week process? And at the end of it, shine a light on this in a way that we hadn't seen before. Like crowd wisdom, crowdsourcing, but run in this very safe environment where of trust as well. So that's that's my dream, I guess.
one of the most amazing aspects of um, machine machine learning and AI is the potential in drawing scenarios, right? So one of the biggest challenges that you've already mentioned is climate change and climate crisis. So what what role uh, does AI play or should play in uh, countering uh, climate change or mitigating its effects? Because I don't think we're going to actually be able to eliminate it completely, right? So how can we at least uh, um, limit the 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 effects of it with with ai what what do you kind of foresee on that or what do you hope would happen <laughs> i think there is definitely a place for um ai in terms of being part of the uh, semantic web of data that you would get from climate data earth observations data or even if you scale that down just within a city think about a smart city so mm-hmm. um if i just take a half step back on that journey where it begins is what we've been talking about that we have a an open and a sharing culture to data that comes together we're so far away from that really when it comes to governments and so on but it was proven to a degree by banking after 2008 crisis they developed an open banking which was impressive and now we're seeing the same thing in open energy because um, we have to be able to play together if you think about the grid now, a smart grid needs um, to be able to connect up potentially millions of um, generation from solar panels or wind turbines, even people's homes. The energy needs to flow back and forward. It needs to be stored in batteries or stored in cars and then used so that we balance the grid and can go sustainable. And that can only happen when those uh, multi-industry players kind of work together and, and make the data useful and droppable and have that kind of semantic web where it can be accessed. So that's happening, and that's happening in climate, it's happening in smart cities, happening in energy, happening in banking. So then what? And then the the role of AI there is to um, try and draw out those insights and predictions, as we've been alluding to. There's there's two things AI does, but we don't talk about the latter one so much. The latter one is change us. Like you can keep cleaning the oceans all day, but if you keep putting more plastic in, it doesn't really matter. So I don't know if, mm-hmm. how do we get people to do that? Um, I'm a member of the um, UNFCCC working group on communicating climate change at the moment, which is fascinating. Um, and I mean, I, I raised the question in there. I didn't do a lot of talking, as you can imagine, with the kind of people in that room. But they, I said, look, you know, if you don't love yourself, are you really going to love your environment? Um, I remember sitting outside Burger King once trying their new vegan burger to see what it was like. And the guy in front of me, young guy, 20-something in his white van, he ate his uh, Whopper, his meat Whopper, and he had the engine running the whole time. And he spat his gum out the window. He left, you know, uh, he left the packaging on the floor when he'd finished and he drove off. And I thought, you know, that's that's not a man who loves himself. So if he's not going to love himself, why on earth would he love this car park or this world? So what, what's the role in AI that if Cambridge Analytica worked out how to nudge us to kind of change our political voting, what, what can it do to nudge us to be kinder to ourselves or more gentle to ourselves? Um, and we, you know, we see that in films all the time. All the messaging, all the Marvel stuff is always trying to challenge us around this. They know what they're doing. They're trying to create new narratives in society. You know, AI can play a role in that. There's some apps that just work on that and then there's kind of more kind of macro stuff around government's decision making and nudge behavioral theories and this kind of stuff Uh, Mm -hmm. so that's 
to be explored and exciting and probably there's there's more in there and then the the everyday stuff that i was alluding to is that you know, we need to be able to measure this and then the, so much just to sort out right i mean there's 42 councils in the uk and there's 42 different recycle schemes because of that and the way that you recycle plastic is different in every single one of those and i eat my strawberries and i hold the plastic up in front of me and i just don't know what i'm supposed to do with it Am I supposed to recycle it? If I'm not, it's going to ta- it's going to damage that recycling, and the whole thing's going to shut down landfill. Or, you know, if I just put it in landfill, then I might miss the opportunity to recycle it. And if I can't answer a basic question like that, so that's the opportunity for machine learning to show it to your phone, tell you what kind of plastic it is, what to do with it, uh, how mm-hmm. to give it a second life or an end of life. Um, just measurement across all of our waste, all of our processes. Um, so that we have a smart city where we're truly measuring right here where we live. How do we safeguard and and protect it? It seems to me that MKAI was literally born to tackle these sort of challenges, challenges where there are convergences. And, you know, you even talk about some of the political things that can be changed, uh, the way we think about things that can change. So it all keeps coming back to this convergence convergence of uh, various different domains with artificial intelligence. And so again, I'm going to go back to this new edition of XRSI framework that is, you know, recently being released. Um, I really think that we need to focus on this convergence and truly understand how do we exchange knowledge across, uh, you know, all these domains uh, to improve the data mining, the processing through let's say these devices. Uh, But then there comes another question um, about identity. And you you, you talked about, you know, gender uh, a little bit. Uh, For me, I struggle with, hey, why are we still making a gender selection as soon as you res into a virtual world? Why don't we have default Uh, sort of neutral avatars, and I'm kind of trying to educate people about that, then, you know, when we brought MKAI into all this mix, then that gender avatar is not just a, that's not the only bias, then there is all these other things, other data points uh, that are considered what makes a person. So uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but mostly just, you know, are we just reduced to a bunch of data points as a person? Um, are those, I mean, those are my concerns, at least. What do you think, Richard? Is this, is this the right way to approach our humanity uh, as we explore these convergences? It's, yeah, I mean, it's a big, big question. I think we, we have these moments in our modern history, well, we can do more than just have a technological change. We we can have a reset. And they, the opportunities present themselves like here now. We step into a whole new world and we pretend it's like the old world. And if you think about Elon Musk's view of going to Mars and ask yourself, what would that society look like when it started at zero again? Would it have government? Mm. Would it have taxes? Would it have money? Would it have jobs? These are all just stories. Some stories are great. We, try, we all drive on the left-hand side of the road in the UK. It's great. I'm really glad we agree on that. Great story. <laughs> but there's many 
stories that aren't so effective. You know, some around religion that aren't quite so effective. For example, let's not get into that. But you know, there's, there's less effective stories, and, and one of them, of course, I believe, is capitalism as it is now. I think it's it's run riot and and is causing endless amounts of damage. Like, if you want to be a billionaire, don't start a company. Go and see a therapist. So, I think there's many industries like that and automotive i've mentioned so many times it's been on my mind like the national grid in the uk says okay how are we going to charge up 36 million electric vehicles in 2050 well hold up why is everyone just swapped their ice vehicle their internal combustion engine vehicle for an electric vehicle what sharing what about um you know different sense of travel what what about these kind of technologies or holographic technologies why on earth exactly. would we try and just swap one set of keys for the other? Take this opportunity to rethink why and how you want to travel. That's what we have here, right? Let's, what do we want to be? Why, why do we want to have gender? I don't know. I'm not saying, I, I don't know whether it's a useful thing or not useful thing. I, I try to stay out of the room, really. But I don't really have a strong opinion, so I'm not going to suggest that my opinion is worth anything on it, but incredible opportunity to rethink society in this world Let, let's take it in terms of privacy because you know oh, i'm privacy, thinking yeah. i'm thinking you know within xrsi framework the way we are thinking about privacy as we are exploring this cross section is all about expectation like you know back in the days or in different countries there is some expectations of privacy even there is the women's room and the men's room for prayers and you know there is a separation and all of that and that societal fabric needs to be restructured when it comes to privacy in the digital landscape especially in xr <clears throat> so for example if you want to scan my house if you're a visitor perhaps i'll give you permission to scan my living room but not my bedroom or, you know, not yes. some areas that I could set off limits. So I'm thinking about, you know, this kind of data collection. It's okay. Take my data. But I think we probably need to redefine privacy or something. And that's kind of what, what I wanted to ask you is after all this exploration, what has been your take on privacy in terms of this, you know, convergence of artificial intelligence and XR? Just a wonderful question. The, you know, there is no way to just have privacy. Privacy, you know, you, you have to sacrifice security or convenience if you want it. We know that triangle will always exist when it comes to technology. Um, but we can have more ownership of that, I think. So where I think the opportunity lies, and we've seen it in the press, is the NFTs, non-fungible tokens, Whoa. the transactions. Now, there's, there's two kinds of data, isn't there? There's... There's data that's produced from something I've clicked, done, looked at, gestured at, whatever, and then given enough raw compute power that can be turned into analytics and that can be monetized. We, we've seen that many times. And, and by the way, that's why you can't just create a new Facebook that's different, because how are you going to afford the incredible amount of servers that Facebook has? need billions to start another Facebook to buy the data farms. So we know that, but that's because it's centralized, isn't it? And as, as data is decentralized, it gives people more opportunity, got edge devices, but somehow it needs to be still as convenient and useful. Um, and one thing that it has done, all this data harvesting, is it made it, it's made it useful because they've been able to draw some very useful analytics and predictions out of it. So let's come back to NFTs for a second. The 
content that we're producing right now is going to be distributed for free. That's just a story. In China, podcasts usually pay for them. But in the US, in, in Europe and so on, we, we believe that um, this should be free, that this information should be free. Articles should be free. Um, even like music and film is becoming that same concept that we shouldn't have to pay for it. Um, friend of mine, she does professional introductions. The problem is people think that intros should be free. So how do we monetize our data? How do we monetize our content? I think the same way is that we ourselves have to become the NFT. We need a human firewall around us, which, as you say, allows us to interact with this, to say yes, to say no. You say no, 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 then fine. But you don't get access to play. You don't get into the fun stuff. You don't get the deals, you don't get the cheaper insurance or whatever that if you can't your data, you can have. So we can build a healthy relationship in this, and we will. When you walk into a, a, you know, a mall or a superstore right now, you know the CCTV is filming you, and you know you're not going to appear on the internet. You just know it. Yeah. No, I'm not saying it never happens, but one in a million, whatever. But we don't have that. No, we just don't know what's going on. You see a billboard with Coca-Cola, you say, oh, they're trying to sell me a Coca-Cola. I'm okay with that. We understand mm -hmm. it. But here, altered reality, just don't know. Yeah. Well, why yeah. is Clubhouse free? Yeah. Oh, I don't know why Clubhouse is free. <laughs> What's going to happen? <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you want to sign, uh, if you want to kind of give us, you know, just in a few words, um, what in your ideal vision, uh, how you would sum up uh, what the role of what we call AI today uh, should be in the future, if we ever manage to create a real, you know, a true AI, uh, something that can think on a, a very complex level. Wonderful question. I think we get very confused what artificial intelligence means to me. It means you see something on a computer and you go, wow, I didn't know it could do that. That's that basically is AI. <laughs> like what we said was AI 20 years ago, we don't call AI anymore. We go, oh, yeah, of course we could do that. Right. Like optical character recognition used to be AI. It's not anymore. So it's a moving target and it's just a phrase. We haven't talked about like paper clips and Nick Bostrom, which is probably good. Um, Nick Bostrom has this idea, the head of the um, Future of Humanity over Oxford University, that you tell an AI to create paper clips and it melts the whole earth down to create them. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think so. And I don't think my toast is going to be conscious anytime soon. I really think this is just crazy. Let's just remember where we're at. The Summit computer, supercomputer from IBM, uses a million kilowatts of hour of electricity. A million? The human uses 20 watts. Same as a small light bulb. Like these are so mm -hmm. different. We have a three-dimensional brain that's processing, you know, in, in billions of neurons at pretty much the same time. And then somebody creates a two-dimensional neural network and says, look, it's the same. It's like it's not the same at all. In summary, the outer journey is the easy bit. Everything that we've talked about in technology is the easy bit. We can go to Mars, we can colonize the galaxies, we can move planets, terra firm, and we can monitor everything on the planet and getting it all working exactly as we want it. And we can live in harmony from an external perspective. But the inner game, the inner journey, that's our real challenge. Just to get past all the external stuff and just find that high level of consciousness, that high level of love, that high level of peace. That's ultimately only ever going to be what our human story is about.
Wow, that was a, an excellent <laughs> ending of the answer. I love that. Um, so in general, I just wanted to say thank you. You've uh, given, for, for somebody who's not, um, you know, it's not like the subject that I focus on most, AI. So I found it very interesting because um, although you started off on a somewhat pessimistic note, uh, my kind of general feeling is that the, the whole thing um, in general feels like something where the positive uses outweigh the negative effects you know i don't know if i'm just being optimistic but that's something that kind of came across when from hearing you talk um and i think you've managed to convey definitely the uh, central idea that what we really need to do is change mindset in the way we face problems and that's what this probably every age is all about right so thank you for that thank you, um, thank you. also many thanks to avia perlman my co-host to Editor-in-Chief Marco Magnano, to Tim Stifladin and David. And if you're wondering why I'm pointing, it's because they're there. Um, and <laughs> Ross Newman. Uh, follow us on readyhackerone.com. You can also find us on Facebook or YouTube under the name Singularity Watch, where you can watch our shows and subscribe if you want to keep updated. Once again, uh, we are interested in hearing what you thought of the episode. It gives us a lot of uh, help to you know, know what people think and what they'd like to hear more of. So please do leave some feedback if you feel like it. Um, if you want audio only, you can find that on Spotify, Spreaker, and Apple Podcasts. And that's all for now. Happy journeys. Happy journeys.